one size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a t-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. The Premier League All Access podcast is proud to be brought to you by Ladbrokes. Stay ahead of all the big games in the best league in the world, the Premier League. With the latest odds, form guides, expert opinions and more. The fans are the players at Ladbrokes. Are you in? Let's go. Play at ladbrokes.com, 18plusbegambleaware.org. T's and C's apply. This is a game day podcast from TalkSport. Hello and welcome to the Game Day podcast from TalkSport with me, Sam Matterface, the former Premier League and Ireland midfielder Matt Holland and TalkSport's Alex Crook. As, despite Lukaku firing blanks, it all gets a little bit spursy at Stamford Bridge. Also, City's winning run comes to an end at Saints as fans accused of being sinners. Everton close in on Vita Pereira and... Brentford get a new Ericsson. Yeah, you have to be a 90s child to get that joke. Plus, United leave it late, Newcastle win, it's great, and Gerrard revels in being clickbait. Every game reviewed on the ultimate review of all the weekend's Premier League action, it's Talk Sports Game Day Podcast. This is Game Day. Well, it wasn't a weekend of great games, but the odd great moment and some isolated major issues, really, at Goodison Park, at Southampton, Brentford, even the Watford game as well. The Spurs fans with Rudiger in that match as well. So we had a little bit of fan involvement, which wasn't welcome. We spent so long being desperate for fans to come back and then a small minority end up causing probably more issues than is palatable in one weekend, Matt. It was a bizarre weekend, really, wasn't it? We've we've seen all sorts. Um, the floodlight failure at Watford, uh, the drone stop play at Brentford, <laughs> fans throwing things in the Aston Villa uh, Everton game. Norwich scored three. That's something <laughs> we don't strange. see very often. Man City <laughs> dropped points. Plenty of bar controversy. It's been just another weekend in the Premier League, isn't it? <laughs> it really has. Uh, and we're going to have a new addition to the Premier League, it looks like. Um, we've mentioned about Wayne Rooney being talked about but for the Everton job. Vita Pereira is a name that's emerged over the last 24 hours. We understand quite strongly that it's likely that he will be not only spoken to, but offered the job in the not-too-distant future. What do you know about it, and what do you know about him, Crookie? Yeah, I think he's already been interviewed uh, by the Everton board. He was at the back end of last week, came across well in that interview, impressed Farhad Mashiri, the Everton owner. I think he's been on their radar uh, once or twice before, uh, including when they eventually hired Carlo Ancelotti. He was quite close to getting the job then. He's won league titles in Portugal with Porto, in Greece as well, was most recently at Fenerbahce. That didn't work out particularly well but he's certainly been on the radar of English clubs not just Everton I think at Arsenal as well uh, when they parted company with Unai Emery uh, he was certainly seen as a possible contender so he's someone who's won nine trophies over the course of his career and I think his track record in European football is certainly an attractive proposition for Mashiri. I guess maybe it highlights a lack of contenders with Premier League experience but 
listen, it's a step into the unknown. Let's see how it goes. I'm not sure he's going to have to worry too much about that European experience for a while after what I saw on uh, Saturday lunchtime. We'll get to that. We'll get to all the matches uh, very shortly. Uh, we'll have some news about Christian Eriksen as well. Looks like he's going uh, to uh, Brentford, which is great. It's a brilliant feel-good story. Uh, I wonder if the Everton fans are happy with this appointment. Obviously, it wasn't particularly great at the weekend. They need a structure, not only a, a manager. They need a structure around a manager as well. So there is a lot of work to do there. And it looks as well as if there's a lot of work to do at Tottenham. It ain't over till it's over. There's no league like the Premier League to tell you that. You wonder how long Claudio Ranieri will have to turn things around. Plenty of booze at the end here. Full time at Vicarage Road, Watford nil, Norwich three. Ball towards the far post. Oh, it's flicked on by Buendia and across the goalkeeper and in. Brentford one, Wolves two, and another excellent goal. The visitors have hit back through Ruben Neves. Shelby around the wall and in. John Joe Shelby gives Newcastle hope of salvation. There are massive three points, but then there are gargantuan three-point hauls. That's exactly what Eddie Howe and Newcastle United have got. Oh! It's in the back of the net. <laughs> right of the death. Manchester United get the winning goal. Marcus Rashford just sneaks it at the back stick. It's taken by De Bruyne. It's an outswinger. It's a great chance on the Porter's equalise. A free header. Maybe opening the door tomorrow for Liverpool who go to Crystal Palace Liverpool have finally won this they have got the three points and I suppose the title race guys is back on it's Palace 1 Liverpool 3 Chelsea who entertain Spurs to revive their title hope it's Chelsea 2 Tottenham 0 a fantastic finish from Thiago Silva they finish Arsenal 0 Burnley 0 the Gunners remain winless in 2022 and miss the chance to move back into the top 4 Brighton have had a very good opportunity and they might have one here from Danny Welbeck and Brighton have equalised. Well, Tottenham played a back four. Antonio Conte, I don't think, has played a back four in any game for the last five years. Why did he change to a back four? And did it work? Well, it certainly didn't work, did it? And, and uh, I know some Chelsea fans were a bit concerned about how they might line up when the team sheets came in and... Actually, I was more alarmed by, by the Tottenham side and the players that he took off, actually. Uh, Tanganga and Sessegnon, two players who arguably probably shouldn't have started the game in the first place. And again, it highlights the real uh, gap in quality between those top three teams and Tottenham, who certainly want to be uh, the fourth best team. I'm not sure that's going to happen this season. In fact, Antonio Conte, after the game, came out and said it could take three years for Tottenham to bridge that gap. Well, listen, one thing that uh, Chelsea managed to do was, despite the fact that Lukaku um, didn't really have his shooting boots on, he missed a, a good chance really early in the uh, in the game. They ended Tottenham's nine-match unbeaten Premier League run under new boss Antonio Conte. Uh, and it was quite deflating for Spurs, I think, Matt, bearing in mind that Chelsea themselves actually haven't been playing particularly well over the last couple of weeks. No, it's been... It's been um... The last three games that they've played against Spurs, I think it's just highlighted the gap, really. You know, Antonio Conte mm. said it might take three years to catch Chelsea up. Well, the three games that Chelsea have played Spurs in recent weeks highlights the gap that, that Tottenham have got to catch up because in the in the Cup, I thought they were streets ahead of Spurs. Um, I've only seen the highlights of, of the game today because I was travelling back from, from Crystal Palace against Liverpool. 
Um, so I, I don't know quite know the ebb and flow of the game today, but the two games in the cup, Chelsea were miles ahead of, of Spurs. So there's so much work for Antonio Conte to do to try and bridge that gap. It was fascinating, really, because Chelsea went into the game, I think, quite downbeat. A difficult time in midweek where they drew with, with Brighton and they struggled in their previous matches as well to find a sort of goal-scoring rhythm. They weren't particularly good at Manchester City last weekend. But there's nothing like a visit from Tottenham to cheer everybody up at Chelsea. I mean, this is the fourth time they've beaten them this season. Sorry, I've started to lose count. Um, ZH Wonderstrike was absolutely sensational. It's worthy of winning any contest. Um, Callum Hudson-Odoi did very well, actually, jinking past uh, Javik Tanganga in order to feed Ziyech on the edge of the area. But that strike was out of the top most draw. It was brilliant. Absolutely brilliant. Um, what I would say is, on the flip side they could have defended it better get tighter don't show him inside he had acres of space when he when he came inside nobody closed him down so he had time to pick his spot but wow what a finish I mean that really is um, the postage stamp it couldn't have been any closer to that top corner it was a brilliant finish Um, Spurs didn't defend it well I admit but wow what a goal yeah, Romelu Lukaku spurned a fine chance for Chelsea just minutes into the contest. That sort of set the tone for his evening, I'm afraid. Um, and it didn't get much better for him. But there was a couple of VAR incidents as well that probably need discussing, including the Harry Kane goal, which was overturned for a push on Thiago Silva. Now, we were watching it together, and um, I think both of us felt that it probably wasn't really a foul, was it? It probably, probably shouldn't have been rolled out, or, or you... Or you now I'm changing your mind. I'm wavering on, on Is that, that because Roy Keane told you a little bit? Your mind? No, I, I've seen it a few times since, and, and there is contact. It's minimal contact, but there is a movement uh, of Harry Kane's arm. Listen, it's it's harsh. <laughs> Matt's not having it. It's, clearly, Matt Matt doesn't agree. But listen, it, it, it's a shame because that could have altered the, the course of the game. I mean, that was as good as it got for Tottenham, really. But yeah, Matt, you're shaking your head. You you agree with Gary Neville as opposed to Roy Keane? I uh, hear. Yeah, I'm, I'm on Gary's side on this one. Um, look, Thiago Silva used all his experience. He felt a slight contact on his back and he went to ground. So he has bought that free kick, Thiago Silva. That's the way I see it. Harry Kane, in hindsight, might think, I, sh- I didn't need to put my hand up. Perhaps I mm. shouldn't have, have put my hand up because then I, I would have had a, you know, had a free run at goal. But Thiago Silva was waiting, felt the little touch and went to ground. So I'm, I'm more on Gary Neville's side than Roy Keane's on this one. Didn't particularly like the challenge by Matt Doherty on uh, Molong Sar, actually. And I thought that he was very lucky to escape without ascending off. I thought that was a dangerous challenge and it was unnecessary for him to place his left foot where he did. And I don't really understand why the official wasn't asked to go and at least review it on the monitor. Agreed. In, in fact, over the course of the weekend, I've been a little bit shocked by some decisions with the VAR. Quite a few decisions, actually, with the VAR. Um, I think there's one in the, the Burnley Arsenal game, Westwood on Tierney. Uh, Armstrong got away with one a little bit against Man City. Stuart Armstrong when he when he went led with his studs as well, and that Doherty one as well. Uh, uh, it's hard to defend him really. I think that was a, a red card. And then I was at Liverpool Palace where there's a penalty decision that we'll talk about a little bit later as well. So VAR has had its usual controversy over this weekend. Yeah, well, Crookie's got a theory about this, haven't you? I have, and I've mentioned it before on the podcast. Uh, VAR either goes swimmingly in, in the majority of games over a weekend, or it has a complete meltdown in multiple matches. And I think this game week, we've certainly seen a case for the latter. Yeah, it has just sort of snowballed. It started badly and just got worse and worse and worse. 
Um, brilliant goal uh, for Chelsea, the first one. The second one, I thought Mount's delivery was exquisite. Absolutely brilliant. And Thiago, excellent header. Uh, he's such a threat in the penalty box from uh, set pieces. He really is. Um, Tang- not sure about the haircut, though, Mason Mount. Mason Mount. Oh, he's just he's doing a bit of 90s business yeah, there. Yeah, not sure. No, I can, see, I can see where it's going. It hasn't got there yet. It's got a way to go. But he's definitely styling himself uh, sort of, I don't know, new kids on the block, early 90s, I think. Uh, right, uh, Antonio Conte, lots of work to do. Thomas Tuchel, I think, will be very happy with what happened at Stamford Bridge, um, especially bearing in mind that they um, they weren't in, in fine fettle beforehand. But they do need to get Lukaku moving. And we watched the game, and he just doesn't seem to have the... The, the, the technique almost the, the motivation to get into these places that he's supposed to get into and when he does get into good positions he rushes the effort or he hasn't got the ability to bring it under control is that all mental Matt or is there a technique, technical issue there too? You know I analysed the game uh, against Man City and he had 20 touches in the game against mm. Man City um, and yet he could easily have scored a couple of goals as well because of his movement and, and you know when he when he is uh, at his best, I think it's strange actually because for someone his size, he's at his best running towards the goal, so running in behind rather is, than coming yeah. to, rather than coming to the ball. His best moments in that Man City game came when he got into position in between the two centre backs and was looking to get in behind the, the Man City defence. A couple of times he got overhit and he had that chance when he went through and there's a, a really good save by by Edison. Um, uh, but tw- at twenty touches, his hold up play was terrible. He kept giving it away. It's a difficult one. Is it Lukaku's fault not making the runs? Is it the, the the Chelsea players who can't find him? I think there are times when when they can hit him earlier. I think he pulls off in some really good positions, tries to pull into that far post for delivery from from wide areas. They've missed Reese James and Ben Chilwell in that respect in delivering balls into the box. Can you imagine if Robertson uh, and Trent Alexander Arnold oh. had been playing? For, for Chelsea and the delivery they get in for Lukaku and the movement he, he does make. But today, Matt, actually, Ziyech was putting in pinpoint deliveries time after time after time and Lukaku had dipped underneath them or he mistimed his run or he didn't quite get on the end of them. So that argument is, is correct because they have had to change the way they played and they changed the way they played completely today. They played 4-2-3-1, really. But he, he just doesn't seem to have his mojo. No, he looks he looks massively short on confidence. He's had his issues as well with Thomas Tuchel. I think Thomas Tuchel dealt with it really well, actually. But, you know, I th- the, you know, by leaving him out, putting him on the bench, uh, disciplining him in that disciplining him in that way, and uh, and and I think Thomas Tuchel dealt with that well. So he's had his issues as well off the field as well as on it, and he's maybe trying too hard, maybe trying to impress too much, uh, but he, he does look a little short on confidence at the moment. Um, well, Newcastle would look pretty short on confidence until they got all three points away at Leeds United, a 1-0 win. I think Ian Danter in commentary, I was listening on TalkSport 2, said some wins are big, some wins are massive, and some wins are gargantuan. And this one falls into that category. It certainly does, but it is only a second win in 21 matches. I mean, listen, Shelby's goal has got a lot to... Uh, to be answered for as far as the goalkeeper is concerned. He was incredibly poor, I thought, uh, on that particular incident. But they deserved it, didn't they? Yeah, they did. And uh, I think as well as the win, 
was much needed. So was the, the clean sheet. And that defence has, has taken a bit of a bashing uh, over the course of the season, both in terms of centre-forwards they've come up against and indeed on podcasts like this. But I think the two central defenders um, probably produced their best 90 minutes of the season. Kieran Trippier was outstanding. He is going to prove to be a really good addition. And I think Chris Wood as well made an impact. He won 15 aerial duels in that victory against Leeds. That's a record in Premier League matches this season. So I think you can see that uh, maybe his arrival will, will change the way that they like to play. There will be more additions between now and the end of the transfer window. And I think psychologically, in terms of attracting new players, the fact they've got this victory now will probably help in that department as well. Yeah, and Perry Groves was talking about him lacking a little bit of confidence and not looking 100%. But actually, Eddie Howe was of the view that he made an incredibly positive contribution without the ball and helping them have a platform on which to build. And I think somewhere between the two, you're getting the perfect Chris Wood. And as time goes on, he will get a chance and he will score a goal and that will help them. Obviously, Constantine up at the bottom of the Premier League this, this week because two teams won and that doesn't happen very often down there does it do you know what it, it, I've been in that position before bottom of the table you get a win you come into the dressing room after the match you look around and it, everyone else has won you get beat <laughs> you get beat honestly and you, and you look around everyone else has got beat you think oh if we'd have won that one we'd have been out of the relegation zone so it, it's just the way it goes sometimes uh, I mean look that's a massive win for Newcastle a huge win I thought Shelby in midfield was excellent as well um, what about the game next up for them Everton. I mean, what a game. Newcastle now against Everton. They're off to Saudi Arabia, I think, Newcastle. Going to get a bit of warm weather. Um, chance to recover, actually, because I think they, they picked up a couple of injuries in, in the game against Leeds as well. So they, it gives them a, a bit of a chance to recover now. Bit of warm weather and, and come back and face Everton, who, of course, is, is the team that Eddie Howe supports as well. So that makes it even more interesting. <laughs> yeah, Victor Pereira obviously will be in charge by that game because this is obviously not going to take place until after the Brentford match that Everton have got in the FA Cup because the FA Cup is... Yeah, uh, not next week the week after there's an international break so there's a bit of a delay between fixtures so it's a big delay for Newcastle United because of course they're already out of the FA Cup yeah and uh, they're actually playing a game against the current leaders of the Saudi top division but there won't be any uh, coverage of that match it will effectively be a training match taking place behind closed doors uh, even the club not permitted to broadcast any live footage or highlights that's in accordance with uh, FA and Premier League rules so I think initially maybe the owners wanted to try and uh, show off their new addition and, and get some fans in the stadium that isn't going to happen <laughs> OK uh, well it's a good victory for them Leeds obviously I don't know are they back in it again they were out of it they are in it it's a bit of a grey area isn't it I think the next few weeks are going to be really important determining whether or not we're going to have a, a, a bit of a tighter more inclusive race to stay in the Premier League or whether or not those four teams that have been battling down there for most of the season are going to be stuck there on their own. Another team who won at the uh, at the weekend, Friday night, Watford, beaten at home by Norwich City. Yes, Norwich actually won a game, 3-0. And I tell you what, they couldn't wait to pile in on Crookie on Twitter. They were loving it. And you search Alex Crook's name on Friday night, it's never been trending so much. Are we an embarrassment now, said one wag? Well, they weren't actually, were they, on uh, on Friday night? But I didn't think they had a particularly good first half, I must admit. But, yeah, second half, much better. Here's a question for you, Matt. Top professional, you know the drill. Josh Sargent, where did that come from? Amazing, isn't it? Absolutely amazing. I'll tell you why. I, I mean, I enjoyed the first goal, improvised the back heel. 
But I actually preferred the second in lots of ways. The way he came and attacked that ball, desperate to, to get on the end of it. Um, he's, he's a player that every time I've watched him, he works incredibly hard, but just looks as though he lacks that bit of composure, bit of finesse, a bit of quality in the final third. So uh, in, in lots of ways, because of his attitude, because of the way he works, I was really pleased for him that he, he got those two goals. Um, and, uh, and the set of the two, I really like the second one where he where he came and attacked it. But yeah, it's um, what unbelievable result, a, a horror result for Watford. If if Claudio Ranieri survives this, I'll be majorly surprised. You know, the way that Watford, the way that Watford changed managers, then then um, I saw saw a great line the other day. It was Nick Jamie Carragher said that there's only Watford changes managers more often than you do to Gary. That's what he said to Gary Neville, of course, the, the <laughs> charge of So I really, I really thought that was quite funny, but. You know, I'd be amazed if Ranieri survives this one. Yeah, I don't think he's going to, is he? I mean, he's he's going to get fired this week. Yeah, uh, I think the search is already underway for, for his successor. We know the way that Watford like to do business is not leaving uh, too much of a gap between getting rid of one manager and then getting the next man in. Maybe yeah, it's time for uh, Kike Sanchez-Flores uh, to return. I think he Fabio... He been back this season, has he? Yeah, getting back. I think Fabio Cannavaro might be a more likely candidate. We know he has a good relationship with the Pozzo family and was in for the Everton job, which looks like he's now going to uh, Vitor Pereira. What has he done to be in for the Everton job? What has he done to be in the Watford job? Wasn't he coach? Where was he coaching last? I think he was coaching in the Middle East, wasn't he? I'm not sure that. He, I mean, I've, I've met Fabio a few times. Obviously, a brilliant player, wonderful player, a World Cup winner, obviously. Uh, but I, I mean, his command of the English language actually, first of all, was not very good when I spoke to him. Although you could say, well, he also doesn't speak English, so that's not a prerequisite uh, for for being a Premier League manager. But I don't know. I, I, he's never really struck me as a uh, particularly commanding figure. Uh, as, as far as a manager is concerned. I think what's interesting about the Ranieri situation was the, the language that he used after the game. He accused his players of being, quote, selfish. And I think that does suggest uh, some dressing room unrest. Fracture. Um, just looking at Cannavaro's career, he was last in China, um, actually. He did have a spell as assistant manager out in the Middle East. It's not a brilliant coaching CV, it has to be well, said. Al Artley, Guangzhou, Al Nasir... Xinjiang, Guangzhou, Guangzhou, and China. He, he, he's not managing the top any top no. league, is he? I mean, but this is history repeating um, for Watford, and I know their fans have been fairly staunch in their defence of the Pozzo family because they would argue that, to a point, the, the revolving door uh, that they have when it comes to managers has paid off. It didn't pay off when they were last in the Premier League. Three managers in one season, they went down. They're likely to have three managers this season. And I think they'll probably go down again. OK, well, uh, well, you said they might go down. They're in the bottom three, along with Burnley, Newcastle. They're in the bottom three at the moment. Uh, Norwich just out of it with 16 points. Notice he hasn't really mentioned Norwich. Do you know why that is, Matt? Because on Friday night, he went out with his pool buddies. He's in a pool league, obviously, because that's you know, what a normal person does every Friday night. Um, and he, went, he avoided the game because he was so scared of the, the, the backlash that he was going to get from the, uh, from the Norwich City support um, right okay still seven games to come and just two points separated the top three at bedtime on December the 4th all on equal game 15 games well that two point gap could be 15 points by bedtime tonight into the path of Nathan Redmond with a crossing chance back to Walker Peters inside the box inside the net Southampton have taken the lead and Brochure has controlled it and got behind Walker and it's Armando Brochure and it's Southampton 2 Manchester City 0 no it is not 
flag has been raised, slipped in low, big chance for Sterling, fabulous save by Forster. Raheem Sterling really should have scored from the right-hand side. Towards the head of Salisu, chance for Brozier, he's hit a post and then it's smashed over by Bednarek. It's taken by De Bruyne, it's an outswinger, it's a great chance and the Porter's equalised, a free header! Manchester City are back on terms. Lovely interchange out of Forrest. Kevin De Bruyne tries to curl one. Oh, hit the outside of the post, De Bruyne. Oh, unlucky. I mean, he didn't have a lot to aim at there. He could barely see the post. He knew where the goal was, trying to bend it back in. Might be a little bit too long, this one, from Medicine. It's bounced for De Bruyne. He turns it goalwards. Fantastic save there from Forrest. They didn't know too much about it, though. They feel as if they're almost there. They are there. Bump in the road for the Rolls-Royce at the top of the Premier League table. Southampton 1, Manchester City 1. Manchester City's 12-game winning run is over. Have they shown enough in the last uh, 90 minutes against Southampton that has encouraged everybody else to give them hope that we might still have a title race? Not really. <laughs> tw- the gap's only nine points. Yeah, tw- Twelve wins in a row. That they Eleven were, points. They were going to drop points at, at some stage. I think it took an awful lot of effort and endeavour uh, from Southampton to get that result. You can see with the way that Ralph Hasenhut will never shy of showing his emotions on the touchline, celebrated at full time. It felt like a victory to him. I thought there were some outstanding Southampton performances, not least uh, Mohamed Salis, who really is now starting to look like the £50 million player that some St Mary's believe he will be. I think he's out of contract in 2024. I'm he sure they'll terrific in the try game, and extend it? it in the summer. So, yeah, listen, from a neutral perspective, we want to see a title race. I would still be surprised if Manchester City drop enough points in their final 15 matches to really give us one. Uh, Pep doesn't like talking about the title race. It was, it's your job. I don't want to talk about it. He was in a spiky mood again. Uh, after the game um, I mean, can they be caught what do you think Matt what's your, what's your view on it I mean does it show because he is a bit spiky that he feels oh it's not done and he's getting irritated with everybody asking him those questions of course they can be caught I don't think they'll be caught because I think they're too strong too good for everybody else in the league um, but but they can I mean I, look, that's a difficult place to go Southampton they, they've they've I'm beaten now I think in eight games in the Premier League at St Mary's so it's proved to be a difficult place to go and get result. Um, and they did knock on the door, Man City. Let's be honest; they they were the knocking the door down. Didn't quite manage to break it, but I thought I thought it was a terrific defensive effort from Southampton. Didn't have a lot of the ball, but they were um, compact, organised, and Sally Sue was brilliant. Was a wonderful goal from Carl Walker Peters to, to set them off and running. Um, but Man City did did you know, everything but score the winner. Still questions to be asked over Jack Grealish. Is he influencing the game often enough? He only had 50-odd touches, whereas Foden and De Bruyne both had 90-odd. You know, it, it just goes to show that those more of the creative players, there's other players that are influencing the game more than Jack Grealish is. So he's still got, got questions to answer with, with regard to that. And Pep was a bit prickly after the game. It was quite funny when he was asked about it. said, great performance, best performance, best performance so far. Uh, it, he always it, says that. It, well, it just deflects a little bit away from the fact that they've, they've dropped points. But let's, let's not forget, they've just won 12 on the spin. 
This is this is a, a minor <laughs> bump in the road. It's Matt, you won't be able to forget. He will tell you over and over again. And if you even question for one, I mean, it's a bit annoying actually talking to him on post match. And I know I've mentioned this before because, and I, know, I think I understand it now. He he sort of looks at the global body of work that he does and assesses that from a very lofty position. I get it. He doesn't look at the little minutiae detail of game after game. He looks over a longer period of time and assesses whether they're doing well or not doing well uh, over over that period rather than just focusing on one individual game. But when you're doing a post-match interview, obviously the job is to dissect what happened in the actual game. And he does not like doing that. Um, it is just one defeat in seven for Southampton. Um, so they're on a good run. And Armstrong on Laporte. Um, Laporte, I think, put a uh, Instagram post out which showed a huge gash down the side of his leg. Now, was that... Um, a red card offence? That was the Armstrong tackle, wasn't it? I mean, certainly the, the wound looks like it could be a, a red card offence. Again, when I saw this uh, on TV on Saturday night or, or Sunday morning, whenever we were, we were catching up, I kind of felt like I wanted to give him the benefit of the doubt. But again, Matt Holland, former tough tackling midfielder himself. What's your view? No, I, I'm a bit like you. I'm, I'm sort of giving the benefit of the doubt as well. It wasn't a, a huge contact um, on the port. I, that that's that um, stub mark that he's put out on Twitter. That's something he used to get every game. He used to get those every match. Honestly, <laughs> I mean, it's like <laughs> come it's different on. now though. No, yeah, different, different now. now. Used to he honestly used to get those every single match. <laughs> so no, I, I I'm I was erring towards giving the benefit of the doubt on that one. Okay, nine points is the gap between Liverpool and Manchester City, but Liverpool do have a game in hand, so that could be just six points, and they've got to play Manchester City as well. Anything can happen. Honestly, we still got a title race. Believe, everybody. Believe. Um, because if Liverpool can go and play like they did against Crystal Palace and come away with what looked like a sizable victory, then anything can happen because they reduced the gap at the top of the Premier League table after a hard-fought win at Selhurst Park. But it was a tough one to take for Patrick Vieira. It was very one-sided at the start and literally Liverpool blew them away for 20-30 minutes. Ox scores the second goal. Van Dijk powered a header in from a corner. At one point, we thought, this is going to be nine. I mean, this is terrible. But then Palace turned the tide. And they had three chances in the first half, including Mateta's great chance just before the break. Elise had a chance straight after the half-time whistle with the ball fired across the goal. And it could have been. It could have, it could have turned round. Then there was the controversial penalty. It's never been a penalty. It's never been a penalty. I just don't. I don't see what what he's seen. Um, Kevin Friend, the referee, was advised after an eternity, felt like an eternity, to go and have a look at the screen. Um, I, I, the VAR was saying that that he felt that Jota would have got onto the end of the ball after it after he was clattered into by Guaita. Well, I mean, unless he's Usain Bolt, I, I don't see how he would have got it before the ball was was going out of play. It looked as though he's initiated the contact into Guaita. Um, Kevin Friend saw it in real time and felt it wasn't a penalty. Mm. I wish that the referees could have courage in their convictions to go over to the monitor and say, I don't see what you've seen up in the VAR at Stockley Park. I saw it at the time. I saw it in real time. I've just seen it on the replay. I don't see a penalty because, look, I think 99 people out of 100 would say it's not a penalty. Of course, there's, there's always somebody who will say it is because there is contact, there's a coming together. But I think the majority would say it's it's no penalty. And, and I just wish referees would have a bit more courage when they go to the monitor to say, 
no, sorry, that's not what I've seen. Because it's changed the nature of the game because, you know, obviously it's 2-1 at that point. Edouard had scored a goal, so Palace were within one goal of Liverpool. The tide had turned a little bit. There was every chance they might nick a late equaliser in that match. That penalty goes the way of Liverpool and it takes that comeback away. Now, it, it looks to me like an instant of, of them re-refereeing the game because Kevin Friend has obviously decided that it isn't a penalty. And then someone... It's not clear and obvious. There's no way you can say that that is clear and obvious. And Patrick Vieira was absolutely furious afterwards. He said, I think we've given ourselves the best chance to get something from the game. But obviously that decision by the ref took that hope away. The poor decision from the referee took our hope away. The reason is having those meetings with the referee and explaining to coaches that contact is part of the game. So if there is a situation like that and it's not obvious contact, there will not be a penalty. That's what we're told. This one here, when you look at the situation with Jota, who I believe is really quite smart but at the same time the referee was naive or the VAR was naive um, there is no way that Jota can get the ball back and score or that uh, Vincent tried to stop him there is no way that Vincent and Jota cannot have contact because of the situation they are in and he sort of explained that pretty perfectly but it is another situation of Crystal Palace doing very well in the game and not coming away with anything mainly because they've had a very bad start yeah, story of their season. Um, really, they are slow to get going. They, they seem to uh, get better after half-time, as they did in this one. But just back to the penalty incident, it comes down to consistency again, or inconsistency. Because there was the incident earlier in the season, if you remember, Manchester City against Newcastle. Edison, for me, completely wiped out Ryan Fraser. Yeah. No penalty. Minimal contact here, which was probably actually instigated by Jota, Penalty. Doesn't make any sense. I'm with Matt. And it, it did change the course of proceedings. Who knows whether Palace might have got back in the game without that error of judgment by the officials. What did you think of Palace? I thought they were, after they got to grips with the game, um, and it did take them half an hour because I thought Liverpool were brilliant. The first half an hour is as good as I've seen Liverpool play this season. I thought they were they were outstanding. Um, but as the game wore on, Crystal Palace started to get in behind Liverpool. Liverpool played an incredibly high line, as they so mm. often do. Uh, and, and Palace started to time their runs getting behind the Liverpool defence and I thought they were very good they they continued to try and play out from the back we've seen this change of style from Patrick Vieira this season let me ask you two about Crystal Palace do you think they're a better side this year than last season because I do I'd, I'd much yeah. rather go and watch Crystal Palace this season than watching them last year the way they're playing they're progressive they're, they've changed the profile of the team as in the age is much younger now there's a hunger, there's a desire about them. They're, they're a better team to watch. They're passing the ball more, they're having more possession. They've scored more goals than they had at this stage last season. But last season, after 22 games, they had 29 points. They've got 24 points now. So has there been progress? I think there has, even though they're five points down. But many people will look at that and go, oh, we're in a better shape last year. I think it's about playing the long game because you mentioned there they've got young players and you know that from young players mistakes are going to be made. Look at the first goal today, Joachim Anderson running into his own man, uh, allowing Van Dijk that free header. But I think there are parallels here between when Brighton, Palace's arch rivals, got rid of Chris Hewton and again, his first season in charge, I think he was actually underperforming Chris Hewton in terms of points per game. Look at Brighton now, much more pleasing on the eye. Suddenly they're up there challenging for a European place. So I think Palace fans will be patient because they're enjoying what they're watching. And I think in the long haul, Patrick Vieira will prove to be a very good Crystal Palace manager. Yeah, I agree with you. And he's changed the profile of the squad, as you mentioned. You know, some of the new faces have done very, very well. Elise, for example, is going to be a fine talent. Gurhi. Again, made a mistake for the first goal, but he's going to be a very good central defender going forward. And it gives Palace hope. You know, if they add, keep adding to that over the next couple of transfer windows, they've got an opportunity to build something. And Patrick himself, you know, 
he's made them more watchable and you can say what you like about it I mean if you're a Crystal Palace fan you'd rather watch a team that had 24 points at this stage but you enjoyed going to the games rather than going to watch a Roy Hodgson team with all due respect to Roy just sent you to sleep I mean they were rubbish they were so dull you wouldn't want to watch them season ticket sales wouldn't have gone up um if Roy Hodgson would still been in charge, it would have gone down. Patrick Vieira brings a bit of star quality as well. I think it's a good move. It work, it's worked out. Maybe not as much as they would have hoped. Maybe it's, maybe it's already better than they would have hoped. But I think it will get, over the course of time, even more progressive and they're on an upward trajectory. Uh, Leicester drew with uh, Brighton 1-1. Uh, Pats and Dak are scoring again. Um, and then Brighton hitting back again late on another late draw I mean they draw so often don't they I mean I said in the I made a joke in the preview podcast that they draw as often as a toddler with a new set of crayons but uh, they do they, they, they're always drawing games and they've got a bit of fighting spirit about them yeah they, they win a lot of points late on um, so listen they don't want to keep falling behind but it shows great character they manage to to keep Coming back, Danny Welbeck again uh, with a crucial late goal at the end of that game. And Lewis Dunk back in the squad. That'll be a bonus for them. Although at the moment, when you look at the form of Dan Byrne and Adam Webster, it's actually difficult to see how Lewis Dunk gets back into the team. And I think that shows you uh, just how much Brighton have improved as a football club and how much more strength and depth they have. Byrne has been absolutely sensational this season, not least in midweek when he... Listen, he looked like Paolo Maldini uh, against Romelu Lukaku. And Webster, uh, I think, is someone who should be being talked about in terms of the England squad. One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a T-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your health care. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. The Premier League All Access Podcast is proud to be brought to you by Ladbrokes. There's a lot more to those 90 minutes than what goes down on the pitch. With the latest odds, form guides and expert opinions, you'll know the score with Labrooks. Odds update on Talk Sport with Labrooks. Are you in? Let's go. Play at labrooks.com, 18 plus, be gambleaware.org. T's and C's apply. No goals at the Emirates Stadium. Arsenal against Burnley. Oh. Arsenal haven't scored since New Year's Day when they lost to Manchester City. 329 Premier League minutes without scoring a goal. I mean, that is quite worrying for Mikel Arteta. I mean, the, 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 he does go through these periods where everyone says, oh, yes, I can see it. It's all coming together. And then very quickly, the whole season collapses in one month, as it always does with Arsenal in January, because now they've got absolutely zip all to play for. Yes, they're in the top six. They might get European football, but it will be Europa League, not Champions League, I would have thought. And, you know, they just there's just not enough in that squad, is there? It's been a damaging week 
for Arsenal. I, I thought it was a, a, a massive opportunity to get to a cup final with no Salah, no Mane. They didn't take that opportunity. And you look at the Aubameyang situation now, there's a possibility that he may move to Saudi Arabia uh, between now and the end of the transfer window. Who's going to replace him? You know, they're after Dusan uh, Vlahovic at Fiorentina. He's, at the moment, shown no inclination to join Arsenal, mainly because he wants to be playing Champions League football next season. He doesn't think they'll be there. I don't think they'll be there either. So you're down to Lacazette and Enketia. Enketia, for me, if you want to be serious contenders for the top four, you don't rely on Eddie Enketia as your backup striker. So they need to do some serious business between now and the end of the window. I think Arteta came out after the game and said they were finding it very difficult uh, to pin players down. They want Artur from Juventus, but that that isn't really moving forward either. Well, I mean... They could have not loaned out exactly. some of the players they already had, yeah. which might have been a, a better idea. I mean, I don't know. I mean, that sounds ridiculous, but probably best not to get rid of players until you've got replacements yeah, it, in the door. It, it's been a bizarre transfer window for Arsenal, and unless they've got some rabbits to pull out of the hat, I think they're struggling. It's been an awful start to 2022, out of both cups. The only thing they have got to play for is Europe and trying to finish in the top four. But I look at their bench today. And you just talked about the strength and depth at Arsenal. Look, look at Arsenal's bench this weekend and then compare it to Man United against West Ham this week. The three subs that came off the bench that combined for the United winner. So Martial, Cavani, Rashford. They, they were the three subs that, that Man United brought and eventually won the game, took them into the top four. Arsenal's bench, have a look at Arsenal's bench. It's not strong enough in depth. That's the big problem for Mikel Arteta. Uh, Tavares, who he fell out with and dragged off 35 minutes into an FA Cup game. Chambers, who obviously they've been trying to get rid of for a long time. And Kessia, we've mentioned. Alabiosi, I've got to be honest, and I've done a lot of Arsenal, and I've even done some of their youth team games. I don't know who he is. Uh, BRF, he hasn't played. Um, Saladin, Hutchinson and Patina are all kids. They're all teenagers. And, and you're right. I mean, it exposes a lack of depth. It exposed, exposed a very small squad. I understand they wanted to get high wage earners off the off the payroll earlier in the season. I know that they wanted to try and get rid of some of the dead wood, but you've got to get through the season. And Arsenal are going to go through what is now what the is it two full seasons under Mikel Arteta, where they haven't really moved much further forward than they were under the previous manager, who by the way left after getting them to a cup final. Um, and Matt's absolutely right to draw parallels with Manchester United because United have got a lot of fringe players who, who maybe they could let go out on loan. Jesse Lingard, we know, is, is wanted by Newcastle. I think West Ham and Tottenham have also made approaches. Dean Henderson. There was one stage when Cavani looked like he might leave. Ralph Ranić, to be fair, has been quite steadfast. He doesn't want to let players go. He thinks they need as deep a squad as possible. It's almost the complete opposite of what Arsenal are doing, and it's highlighted, as, he, as Matt has said, by the the, the, the gap in quality on the two benches. Okay, let's talk about Manchester United. They played West Ham. We talked Brentford to, uh, Wolves as well, and Everton against Aston Villa. Duncan Ferguson is in charge of Everton against Steven Gerrard's Aston Villa. Mings upfield it goes, bounces once on the edge of the area, then Mina heads it over his own goalkeeper and Pickford has to turn around and scurry back and pick it up. Ramsey back to halfway and Mings, Mings down the left side of the box looking for Watkins, is in behind, takes it on, beats the goalkeeper who comes out and gets a big hand on it to steer it behind. Touch back to Buendia who's crossed the far post and Watkins is unmarked, what a save by Pickford with his foot. Ball towards the far post, oh it's flicked on by Buendia! 
and across the goalkeeper and in. And Aston Villa, who've had the best chances in this first 45 minutes, have scored in stoppage time at the end of the first half. It's half bit by Mings, comes back to Gordon, delivers it into the box, flicked by Richarlison over the top of the crossbar. A ball sent wide to Anthony Gordon, who's sprinting away, produces a cross, Calvert Lewin is there and he's leaning back and he gets under the ball and he takes it right over the top of the crossbar. It was a scrap. But it was a scrap that Aston Villa won. Buendia's goal, the only goal of the game. It's finished Everton nil, Aston Villa won. Everton nil, Aston Villa won. Emi Buendia, the smallest man on the park, scoring a header uh, at the near posts and giving all three points to Steven Gerrard's team. He won more games against Everton than any other team as a player and he couldn't stop smiling about it. He had a big smile on his face when he came and spoke to me after the game and also uh, when he was doing, a, I think he was doing like a dummy sort of uh, gesture to the Everton fans because they were speaking their dummy out. A few of them stayed after the game to sort of shout out about sacking the board uh, because it is actually a dreadful, I mean, it was a dreadful match. It was a terrible situation at Everton uh, anyway uh, behind the scenes but it was a terrible football match. It was very, very scrappy. It was a proper battle. There wasn't much quality in it, to be honest with you. Um, and Duncan Ferguson certainly got his work cut out. But the Everson situation is a tricky one, isn't it? Because Farhad Mashiri spent a hell of a lot of money. He's constrained by financial fair play. I mean, Mikolenko had COVID, I think, which is why he wasn't in the squad. But they played Ben Godfrey at left back. Patterson wasn't in the squad. I'm guessing he had COVID because there's no reason otherwise that you would sanction two signings like that and then not have them in the in the match day squad. They've got a real restructuring job to do, Matt. God, blimey, where do you start? Where do you start, really, with, with Everton? I, look, they huffed and puffed. They had a go in the second half. I don't think you can fault them for, for their effort. Um, and, and as poor as they were in the first half, they, had, they were much better in, in the second. Um, six points from 42. From the, I mean, it's just a, a horrible, horrible run. So that's one win and three draws, I think, from the last 14 matches. It just goes to show... That, that things are in a in a bad situation at, at Everton. Uh, unrest in the in the crowd. They you know sat the board banners. Um, it, it's just a, a, a horrible place to be at the moment. With all with all due respect to Bill Kenryan, he's done yeah some great things over the years at, at, at Everton. The idea that he still does the player negotiations or, or is in charge of recruitment. He's running the club almost. It feels like on a day-to-day basis. I know that, uh, that they've got a CEO. That Denise, the CEO, is also very much involved in it. But it feels like, from what Farhad Mashuri said during his open letter to club supporters this weekend, that, he, that he's just given everything over to Bill. It's time now for him to walk away. And that was very much the tone of what the fans were saying after the match. I mean, Duncan Ferguson did his best. He bought everybody a pint in the pubs around the ground beforehand. But even even then, the atmosphere wasn't terrific. Um, I just I just don't know where they go from here. I Pereira, obviously, has been mentioned now, and we think he's going to get the job. But they need a director of football. They need someone to do the recruitment. They've got no head of recruitment. They've got no head of sports science. They've got no head of scouting at the moment. I mean, all of those positions have to change. Yeah, listen, I have some sympathy because Farhad Mashiri has put his money where his mouth is. Um, it's not been well spent, um, but that's not necessarily his fault, although I think he does uh, sometimes have a, a bigger say in transfers maybe than that 
open letter suggested. And Bill Kemright is somebody who really has been the custodian of that football club for a number of years. So clearly he's got the club's best interests at heart as well. And I think it's quite a sad situation when uh, fans are flying planes over the stadium telling him that it's time to go. There, there was one bit of good news for Everton at the weekend. Nigeria knocked out the African Cup of Nations. So Alex Iwobi, who was sent off seven minutes after coming on, uh, will be back to, to bolster the squad. So that'll be good news. Let's talk about Manchester United. Uh, they beat West Ham by a goal to nil late. Uh, Marcus Rashford goal. Mickey Gray on game day on Talk Sport waxing lyrical. Best performance under Rangnick, he said. One defeat in 13. It hasn't always felt like that, has it really? But, you know, it's the first time they've managed two in a row under the uh, German boss. Ronaldo had chances. He had a header in the first half. Zuma, um, the challenge on him, possibly. Was that a penalty? I'm not sure. Um, but look, they forced Ariola into a couple of saves. Probably should have scored before they did. But it's the fourth time in Premier League, uh, his Premier League career, that Marcus Rashford's got a 90th minute winner uh, in the Premier League for Manchester United. And, and it's good to see him scoring again, Matt. Well, he'd had a, a bad run. I think he'd gone 11 games without a goal. And um, I was at the Brentford game, actually, in midweek. He, you know, he, he was somebody that desperately needed a goal for his confidence. Backed it up with another one off the bench um, this weekend against West Ham. I did think United were the better side. I, I, you know, I think they are starting now to, to find some rhythm. I like the, the slight tweak in midfield with one holding midfield player, two number eights. I think that's been, been better for them. Certainly getting Fernandes in the middle of the pitch has been um, much better because he's he's looked wasted when he's been playing in one of those wide positions. So getting him in the middle of the pitch has, has helped them. Uh, West Ham disappointed me in lots of ways in the way they approached the game. And I, you know, I, I understand they're going to Old Trafford. They're in a good position in the league. But I don't think they showed enough adventure. I don't think they showed enough to go on and, and hurt Man United. You know, Man United in the position that they're in, and you're right, the results have been a bit better of late, but they've still looked a little bit uncomfortable, a little bit susceptible. And you felt as though this was a game where West Ham could make a bit of a statement. And I thought, I thought they were not positive enough in the way that they attacked the game. Whether that's, you know, a bit of David Moyes, he's not, he's not got a great record away at the big six clubs. I think it's... Uh, a long time since he won away at one of the big six, but I just felt they were a bit negative in their approach. United definitely deserved to win, and, and I think the bench made the difference as well. Still got Sancho to come back onto that bench as well. Maybe maybe start, who knows, but they just look really good in terms of their depth. And a quick word on Declan Rice. He was the best player on the pitch. I watched the game and I thought he was absolutely outstanding. And um, his quotes after the game actually were interesting. I always enjoy playing at Old Trafford. I don't know if that was a, a message to say. No, <laughs> quite like it here at Man United. Yeah. Or only at Old Trafford. We'll see. Uh, yeah, uh, yeah, he was impressive. Screening the defence. I think you're probably... we. We're talking about this last night. We think he'll probably move in the summer. He's got to move if he wants to kick on to that next level. Antonio's goals have dried up a little bit. That's a problem. One shot on target for West Ham. There's still a, a big threat from set pieces, but it is. it has been a little bit uh, dry in front of goal for Antonio for probably far too long. Look, we've been droning on for so long. We've got to get to our final match, uh, Brentford against Wolves, which is ironic because drone stop play is a new one on me. And certainly it did during the game. I mean, uh, what, what are you doing? Why are you fly, flying a drone into a football ground? Have you got nothing better to do on a Saturday afternoon? I mean, I just don't get it. But anyway... The worst thing about it was is that once it has happened and someone stopped a game, you're now going to get people doing it all the time. I've got some good footage though, Sam. I've got some, you know, <laughs> off the drone, I've got some good footage. Oh, 
Sorry, I was not meant to say that, was I? <laughs> <laughs> he wanted to shoot it down, Sam. That was yeah. his solution Absolutely. to the problem. Uh, let's talk about the football. Some excellent goals in that game. And I've been looking, actually, um, in terms of, of the, the Premier League form table. Wolverhampton Wanderers, right up there. If you look at the teams who are ahead of them in the form table, Manchester City, Liverpool, Chelsea and Arsenal, um, the only four sides ahead of Wolves in the full table. I, I, in the form table. I've said it before, Bruno Large has done a terrific job there. Yeah. It looks like Adama Traore will be on his way to Tottenham. Maybe uh, Bruno Large will have some funds to spend. I think Renato Sanchez is still a player very much on their radar and that would be another fantastic addition. Can we say the Wolves are European competitors? Yes, are you okay I, with that? I think you're, I think you're in, the, in the right zone there because they're only two points off the European places. Uh, only three points behind West Ham, but have two games in hand on them. So there's every chance that they could pit Manchester United to a European place. Yeah, you're right. What do you want to talk about? No, the only thing is at the top of the programme, you said we talk about Christian Eriksen. Oh, we should talk about Christian Eriksen. We haven't mentioned it. It was broken on Sunday morning on TalkSport, the Christian Eriksen deal to... uh, uh, Brentford is done or just about to be done and uh, so he will be playing in the Premier League it looks like and it's a great story isn't it a feel good story um, the rules in this country allow him to to play with his um, defibrillator in his chest it's not allowed in Italy but it is allowed here as long as he has a cardiac screening it's a feel good story it is a feel good story I, I think there's still a little way to go because I think there's quite an extensive medical plan actually they don't need to sign him uh, by the transfer deadline because he is a free agent so it could, it could go past that point but yeah listen it's, anybody who uh, loves football will have been touched by uh, the Christian Eriksen story harrowing scenes he went down in that game uh, against Finland at the European Championships he's got a burning desire uh, to make his comeback on the biggest stage at the World Cup and, and we certainly hope he can get there and I guess Brentford's a good fit with a with a Danish manager in Thomas Frank, a couple of uh, Danish players in the squad as well, uh, and maybe a chance just to go about his business quietly uh, as opposed to joining one of the more established clubs in the Premier League. Yeah, good luck to him, good luck to uh, Brentford. I thought they were brilliant in the game on Wednesday night when they played Manchester United. They just had the finishing touch. The first half of that game, I thought they were, were excellent. Thomas Frank's just a brilliant character, one of the, the best characters in, in the Premier League. He got sent off at the end of the game for confronting the referee, and he came out afterwards, did an interview in which he's talked about it and said, uh, you know what? Do you know what? I tell my players to keep their emotions in check. I probably should have done the same. So I'm sorry about that. Hands up. I won't do it again. I thought fair play to the fella. Uh, right, Matt. Thank you very much. Enjoyed that. Thank you. Enjoyed it. See you soon. Uh, right. That's it from us. We'll be back uh, after the international break. Thank you for tuning into the Game Day podcast. We've appreciated it. Uh, keep downloading our podcast from uh, everywhere you usually get your podcasts, and you can use our Talksport app as well. The Premier League All Access podcast is proud to be brought to you by Ladbrokes. The latest odds? We set them. Form guides? We've got them. Expert opinions? We share them. The best fans in the world deserve the best. Be match day ready before the whistle blows with Ladbrokes. Odds update on Talk Sport with Ladbrokes. Are you in? Let's go. Play at ladbrokes.com, 18+, begambleaware.org, T's and C's apply. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. 
And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.